With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSIN. And welcome to the Lombardi Line, presented by BetMGM. Dave Ross here at South Point Casino in Las Vegas. Michael Lombardi back on the East Coast in New Jersey joining us as always. Michael got a pretty darn good show today, of course. On Wednesdays, we have Steve Mackinan on. His numbers, and I utilized those numbers last week to help make some plays this week. I highly urge people to check out Steve Mackinan uh, each week here at Point Spread Weekly. He's going to be joining us here at the uh, bottom half of this hour. Next hour, my buddy Scott Smith, the sports director there at Fox 13 in Tampa is going to join us, and they got a whole bunch of issues, not just COVID-related, down there in Tampa with injuries amassing at a rapid rate there. So we'll get Scott's take on the Buccaneers as they go forward and try to go back to the Super Bowl for a second straight year with Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. And Lou Fittacaro is going to join us as well in that second hour. Of course, no UFC this week, but we will pick his brain about the NFL. He's really been on some NFL unders lately that have cashed big time. Uh, But Michael, you know, I was driving into the office today here, and I go right by Allegiant Stadium, and it's it's actually pretty moving when you see it there, and just as in memory of John Madden and and a larger-than-life, you know, picture of John as you're driving on the highway here. And it it just kind of summarized to me, Michael, what he meant, the impact of the game, larger-than-life. I mean, he he really does kind of embody – um, the NFL for almost 50 years. Uh, I, I'm just wondering, w- when you heard the news yesterday, uh, your reaction to it, and, and certainly the Raider organization here, uh, extension of Oakland, I know it's heavy hearts today in the Davis uh, household for Mark and company. You know, for the entire Raider nation, I mean, you the former players from Matt Millen on, I mean, the, he, he, rem- he remained a, an icon to them, and I think what he was able to do was he he was so powerful in his ability to communicate, to teach the game to people, to take the complicated and make it simple. Uh, but what we lose sight of is the fact that he had 10 years as the head coach of the Raiders, that at the age of 33, Al Davis, for the first time ever and the last time ever, appointed a linebacker coach. Typically, Al Davis never wanted anybody from – Uh, the defensive side of the ball to be the head coach. He was always looking for an offensive coach, and he picked Madden as the linebacker coach, a kind of nondescript linebacker coach. And, uh, you know, at 33, his first year, he goes to a conference championship game, goes 12-1-1. And from that point on, over the next 10 years, he competes in seven AFC conference championship games. Now, he only wins one, and that year they went to the Super Bowl and won in 1977. So he's also the winningest coach, David, the winningest coach with at least 100 victories at a 76.9%, 75.9% winning percentage. So we, we tend to think of him as boom and, you know, and <laughs> the traduction and all the things that he was bringing to us. But the reality of it is, is he coached that Raider team at the highest level during a very difficult time during the Steelers' dominance 
you know, and endured. The thing that I always crack up, and I haven't seen the documentary yet. I've missed it. I'm going to tape it tonight. But what always cracks me up is Al Davis was a true believer in the silver and black. And he didn't want you wearing any other colors in the office other than silver and black. And when I see these images of John Madden on the sideline in a blue pair of slacks and a blue shirt, <laughs> I, I just, I don't understand it. It's like, it just blows me away. Like, what happened here? Like, where's the disconnect? Uh, and, you know, and some of the outfits that he wore on game day, you know, were just bizarre. You know, even, I mean, I've seen Raider gear with what was blue. And nobody was more about the silver and black than Coach Mr. Davis. And obviously, Mahedden was able to, and I I love the fact that he always wore the uh, the f- sideline pass on his lapel on his on his pants. Like no one knew he was the coach, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love it too. And I heard yesterday, uh, Michael, it, it did give me some solace, and I'm sure for football fans out there, you mentioned the documentary. It did come out, and apparently, John was able to watch that with uh, 30 of his closest uh, family members and friends, which kind of almost eulogized him, but he was able to see it uh, before he unexpectedly yeah. passed yesterday, which I think is pretty cool, right? Because, I mean, a lot of times yeah. we say these things in memorandum, and, and, uh, and you don't get to tell those people uh, when they're still alive, and, and I think that was kind of a nice touch uh, in, yeah. in a, a roundabout way that he was able to experience that. Yeah, it's almost like he let go. You know, he's driving to his doctor's office. He was going to a doctor's appointment when he died in the car. I mean, that's just really tragic. And so that's unfortunate, you know, but, you know, and that's why it was so unexpected. I mean, right. he, wasn't, he wasn't sick, but on the way to the doctor, you know, his son, his grandson, Jesse, actually will be competing for a national championship at Michigan. He's on the Michigan football team, Jesse Madden. So, look, there's so much that John did for the game of football. There's so much that John did for the community of Pleasanton, which is outside of, uh, it's, east of uh, it's east of Oakland. Uh, you know, he developed a whole community out there. He owned a lot of property there. You know, I remember the story of, of he loved to go to Carmel. He owned a home down in Carmel. He would spend a lot of time in Carmel after the football season. And uh, there was a coffee shop in Carmel that he would go to every single day and have coffee and sit out front and talk to the folks, people about, you know, football and life and use his great analogies. And he, the, the coffee shop was going to sell, it's go back, was going under. It was, it was, it was in, it was in dire straits and he just bought the coffee shop. <laughs> and so he just was very, you know, I mean, he made a, amassed a great fortune, what he did. He was smart. He managed his money correctly, the Madden, you know, games and, and all those. So it's, you know, he's going to have a lasting effect on this game forever, not just because of Madden, the game, but because of how he explained the game. And I think somebody tweeted this out today and I read it and he said, he's probably done more for game management during the game by that game than anybody. Absolutely well said, Michael. And again, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, to me, it's it's a privilege. We get to do the show together. I get to pick your brain about football. For people that have been football lifers and in it, you know, I love the game and never was in it to the level that you, uh, you know, I, I covered Joe Gibbs and, you know, the football lifer that he was and certainly John Madden from afar and just the impact that he's had on, on so many different generations of football fans, to your point, it's it's never going to go away. John Madden's always going to be associated with the game, and that lasting kind of you know that that impression, the booms, the traductions, the 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 coats, the the flair, the whole thing, uh, all of it worked for him, right? I mean, n- n- yeah, not everybody. It was him. It just it, it was just it was a natural. Him. You know, it's I wrote about this tomorrow for the Daily Coach. Uh, you know, in in, in 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 respect to Coach Madden, I mean, one of the areas that we talk about in leadership is called management of attention, which means you know you have the ability to communicate your plan, you have the ability to 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 get the people that you're leading to listen to you and hear you. 
And Madden, really, he did that as a coach of the Raiders with his 76% winning percentage and the Super Bowl title. And he also did it as, as a broadcaster because the people he were leading were the fans, people sitting in the stands, people that were sitting on, on home watching on television. And he educated them, and they paid attention to him. And that through his education, through his voice inflection, through his words, he was able to, to explain the complicated simply. And, and I think that's going to be forever. We miss that. I think we get so much, Dave, we get so technical about football, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and we, you know, with Monday night, we got Lewis Riddick talking about defensive back techniques. And we got, like, the game, the fan at home doesn't want to hear about that, you know, Two trail technique. Nobody cares about two trail. Like nobody cares about you know the the outside leverage points. You know that that's a coaching clinic. What we want to know is the big picture of the game. What's going on? What's happening? Like what adjustments need to be made? How's this game going? Look at it from a head coaching standpoint. And we miss that dearly. And you know I, I was watching a clip on Twitter today where the Eagles. We're playing the Cowboys, and the Cowboys were wearing their blue uniforms at the vet. And it was, you know, it was 17-17 tie in the fourth quarter, and there was third and one. They went for it on third and one. They ran a lead play, got knocked back. They went for it on fourth down, and he's criticizing the call before the call, you know, and, and it, they didn't get it. And the, and the Eagles went on to win that game, and he was very critical of the going for it. He, was, he made his point clear. He wasn't worried about Twitter's reaction to what he said. <laughs> he just gave his opinion. And I think we miss that. We miss the broad stroke view of football. That's what we get a little bit with the Manning conversation. We get a broader stroke. We need that. We, we need that. We need, we need to educate this game more about, you know, so we can understand it. So we're not constantly debating these situations. You know, why did you go for it? Why didn't you? You know, all those things. I, I think we miss that. We get too technical. Nobody cares about Tampa, too. Nobody cares about, you know, weak roll safety. Nobody cares about the slot blitz, you know. They care about what is going on, who's making the adjustments, you know, what's happening on the field. I think that's what we miss tremendously. It's, it's, so, it's such a great point because, again, it's, it's John Madden's love of the game that he was able to transfer from a head coach to a broadcaster. To, look, you're always going to get people like us. We're going to watch the games, right? And so I, I get it. People in the, in the broadcast booth these days want to tell you how smart they are. And, I, and they are smart. And they do know the game and all of those things. But Madden was able to relate it to the common man and maybe not even the biggest and the most ardent football fan. And that's why on a Thanksgiving, you know, I could tell my, my parents, hey, we got to – we got to eat early because, you know, Matt and Summerall are all doing the game late. And then they became part of the family, uh, you know, just by, by being there every Thanksgiving. And my parents would welcome them in. And my mom doesn't care about football. But he was just yeah. that kind of every man that could get, yes, you're going to get the football fan, but get the other fan because he's going to have some fun. But he's really going to speak to you from his heart about the game of football. Yeah, and, he, and, he's gonna, and he's doing it in an enjoyable way. And anybody who's a young coach or a young leader, I think you can learn from Madden, is you can't go out there and give the same speech constantly. You've got to change your, your temper. You've got to do it within your own personality and your own style. And I think the other thing about the passing of John Madden today, it also gives back, we can look back on Pat Summerall because that was a dynamic oh, duo. Wow. You know, no disrespect to Al Michaels and John, but to me, you know, listening to those two, in fact, I sent a message to Frank Caliendo today about how, you know, I, 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 every time I, I talk to Frank Caliendo on Twitter, on, on text, I always end up by saying, thanks, John, because I love how he would always do that, you know, when, when Summerall would thank Madden for a comment. Thanks, John. And, and I think it's just that voice, those two voices. I mean, Facenda's voice. 
the autumn wind is a pirate. You know, mm. that, that's so, so much a part of the NFL fabric. Most people don't even know who John Pacenta was. He was an anchor here in Philadelphia at, at CAU Television here in Philly. He had this incredible voice. One of the thrills of my life was when I was able to get him to read the UNLV highlight film from 1981. It's for Senda wow. It's incredible. I, I love it, Michael. I, again, we could spend all day on it. I know it's a, it's a very big deal around the National Football League today. And again, he had three rules. Be on time, be attentive, and play like hell on Sundays. And his Raider teams absolutely did that. All right, Michael, when we come back, we will break down uh, some college football today that is going on uh, across the college football uh, bowl matchups. Come on back. It is VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It is football season. It's time to download BetMGM Sports. It's Nevada's premier sports betting app. BetMGM has all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted out specials, and much, much more. Download the BetMGM app today or stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open up an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please get them responsibly if you have a problem. Call 1-800-522-4700. Back here on the Lombardi Line, I am Dave Ross, joined by Michael Lombardi. And, Michael, there are, and I know we're still dealing with COVID and college football and certainly the NFL. We've had a lot of cancellations. But we do have some games going on today, some bowl games. And I do want to get your thoughts on them. One of them is near and dear to my heart after being in the Washington, D.C. area for about 18 years. And you get Virginia Tech against Maryland. It's a border war. Now, I know for those that uh, know the state of Virginia, Virginia Tech isn't really close to the University of Maryland. But still, it qualifies as a border war there. And it is a rivalry there because they're going to fight for recruits every single year. This line has really moved precipitously in the way of the Terp. So it's all the way up to three and a half, Michael. This one opened about Virginia Tech minus one at even. And now you see where it is here as we get ready for kickoff and closer and closer to it. What do you make of that? Has the line moved too much away if you want to back the Terps? Well, I mean, you know, to me it's so hard because Maryland's so poor on defense. I mean, they're 114th in the country in relative scoring defense. And, you know, in pass defense, they're so bad. But we remember now, you know, not only are we dealing with COVID, we're dealing with a change of coaching staffs at Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. right? So we're dealing with all this unknown that's coming in. And, and to me, they opened up as the favorite by a point, but Justin Fuentes isn't there, Bryce 
Bryce comes in, you got new coaches. It just becomes a, a very complicated area. And again, not knowing because college doesn't have to release all the information, we don't really know where they are. Now, we do know that Virginia Tech was better on defense in the ACC. I mean, Virginia Tech, you know, was able, they only gave up 22 points over the year, and that ranked them 30 and 9th in the country in terms of scoring defense. So, and Maryland has been very inconsistent over their offensive ways. I mean, they start fast, and they had a three-game losing streak, and they win. They, they kind of humiliated Rutgers, which shocked me. I thought they would lose to Rutgers. Mm-hmm. But to me, I, I think my message to people here today, you're betting these games, you're betting at your own risk. Because I think there's so many variables. There's so many variables that I can't control that I don't know. You better do your due diligence before you turn a bet in. It's a great point because last night, say with Mississippi State, I think a lot of people like myself did not know how many people would be out. And you're right, they don't really release that information. And we're trying to get you that information before you make those wagers. It is tough, but you do see that line move. Go to Maryland now, uh, which, minus three. Which tells you there's which tells you there's somebody knows something going on here. The line's moving. Right. It, and, <laughs> absolutely. You know, there's something happening here, and 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 there's opportunity to place a bet. You know, and and you can certainly be the contrarian and say, well, Virginia Tech was the favorite. I'll just go with them and see what happens. But, you know, to me, I think you're betting blindly a little bit. Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. Clemson is an interesting case study here. Yeah. And some would argue that Dabo maybe did his best job of coaching down there at Clemson this year, right? We know the struggles yeah. they had offensively. But really, when you look at the end result of the season, not too shabby. I know for their standards, they're down. Take it on Iowa State, and this is a team in the Big 12. I think, you know, pre-flop, Matt Campbell, and, you know, really high expectations. They just got out of the gate really slowly here. How do you gauge this as far as a level of interest? Because I have to think, for Clemson and Dabo, they kind of want to make a statement that we haven't gone anywhere. Right, and but Dabo's going to have to do it without two of his coordinators. Now, I think Dabo has been running the offense a lot more than we think he has. I mean, you can see him fully engaged on the sideline, talking into the headset, has the play sheet in front of him. I don't think it's for theatrics. I think he actually is involved with the offense. I think defensively, without Brent Venables, I think that's going to be the real challenge, you know, because Clemson only gives up 15 points per game. You know, and they're very good. You know, they're very good against the pass. I mean, last the defense allows 2.87. Bryce Petty's going to have to play really well if, in fact, he is playing. Mm. So, you know, Iowa State to me is always a team that when they can play at home and they play on their slow grass field, they play their Tampa two, their three three front. They're willing to not give up big plays, make you be patient on def- on offense. That's the recipe to me. I, I think to, if I'm Clemson. If I was going to bet anything, I would bet Clemson here because I think this is the start of a new era for Clemson. And I think they want to get that foot, that, that, that get that start going in the right direction. Michael, as an executive, how would you evaluate the job Dabo did this year down there in Death Valley? Because I, I think for the layman, maybe they look at it and go, oh, Clemson, they just weren't that good this year, and the offense stunk and all those things. Or would you look at it and say, boy, look what he really had to deal with um, – how would you over give if you had to give him a grade? What do you think that grade would be? I, I think he probably would get a B. I mean, look, he lost to North Carolina State, which is no, you know, I mean, that's a good team. Yeah, lost in overtime to them. You know, he lost to Georgia. You know, they were a really good team. He couldn't score. You know, and then and he loses to Pitt, which was a good team too. But he beats Wake Forest. You know, I mean, they, he he wasn't winning in the style and the manner we're used to. But he didn't have the same kind of team. And I think he did a really good job this year. And, and offensively, I think that was really where they struggled the most. I mean, you know, uh, 
the, 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 the you, I just call him the you DJ man. I mean, you, I right? can't say, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can't say his last name. I mean, you know, they're 119th in the country in, in, in yards per attempt. I mean, they couldn't throw the ball effectively. And Venables did a tremendous job defensively. They ran the ball effectively. They averaged four, five, nine a carry, but they really didn't have any passing game that we speak of. And that's why they were four and eight against the spread this year, because the numbers were reflecting Clemson of old, and they weren't Clemson of old offensively. Yeah, DJ Uyunglele, and I'm not exactly sure you, if I'm you, still saying it. You can it right. say it. You I'm, can say it. I don't you can say it. That's, I apologize to the Uyunglele. My family. New Year's resolution will be not to even try. How about that? It's <laughs> a good resolution. Uh, let's talk about Oregon and uh, Oklahoma here. And you know, oh, I, yeah. I, I guess you know, you look at coaching changes here. Oh my goodness, on both staffs here, and, and again, coming in now. I wonder, too, if Oklahoma's like, all right, we're laying the six and a half against Oregon. This number is shooting up as well, Michael. Is this an opportunity here to come in and go, all right, Lincoln Riley might not be here, but we're still Oklahoma, and Baker Mayfield and company can still plant that flag? You know, I but, you know, on Oregon, I, I think Joe Moorhead's going to continue to call plays for Oregon. How many of their players are out? The Oregon's a really talented team. Yeah. You know, and they've underachieved, in all honesty. They just got out-toughed in two Utah games. I mean, that was pretty clear. Utah just punched them in the nose, and they didn't punch back. <laughs> Thibodeau's not going to play. We know that. I mean, if I leaned anywhere, I leaned Oklahoma because there is continuity, and, and I do think Bob Stoops came in and kind of allowed everything to take place. And I don't know how much Venables is going to be involved in the game plan, but there seems to be a lot of favoritism going towards the Oklahoma program in terms of the money. And we'll see if that transpires. I mean, the hard part for me is Oregon's offense, I thought, was a disaster. I thought it was a disaster watching it all year long, you know, especially at quarterback. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see how they're going to be able to match this in, in Oklahoma's offense. Against Oklahoma's offense, does it does it still resonate? Because I know it resonates for somebody like me. Bob Stoops is going to coach. Does it resonate to those kids in Lincoln? That my goodness, this guy is coming or not Lincoln in. Uh, uh, where are they in Oklahoma? Norman? Where, where are they? Norman. Norman. Yeah, that they're gonna. He's gonna come out and he's gonna say, you know what? I'll coach these kids. I might not know these kids, but I love this program, and I'm gonna coach Oklahoma one more time. Yeah, no doubt. I think he will. I think he resonates with the kids. I mean, he's around the program, and the history of the program is such a part of, of Sooner football, right? Mm. You know, and, and I think that – but we're looking at two teams here, David, that, that are really bad against the spread. You know, Oklahoma's 5-6-1 and one this year against the spread. Oregon's 5-8, and eight, even though both teams score in the 30s. Both teams' defenses haven't been to the level that we're used to seeing them. You know, this is really two even teams. Really two even teams, and, and I think both teams, you could honestly say, lack physical toughness. I think you could really say that, you know, especially offensively with Oklahoma. You know, I never felt like they were Baylor out-toughed them. Right. You know, Baylor out-toughed them. And, and I think that Oregon got out tough twice. So, uh, to me, this is going to be which team has the most complete game uh, because both teams are effective running the football. I mean, both teams average 5.2 yards a carry carrying the football. This is really an even game. That's why the points to me seems a, it's a lot of points. But, there's again, I'm a little concerned when we talk about college now because of all the COVID cases and the uncertainty of the coaching. I'm, I'm certain I'm going to get some mean tweets from people in Lincoln, Nebraska. Going, you don't know that Lincoln, that's the home of Tom Osborne. Get it right. Norman is the home of Bob Stoops. Uh, very yeah. quickly, got about a minute to go, Michael. I, I, I want to back Cincinnati on Friday, but this line hasn't moved since the game opened. It's still at like 13, 13 and a half, and it won't go. And I keep waiting for it to go to 14, 14 and a half. Should I be getting nervous? Because I want to back the Bearcats, but I don't know if I'm getting enough. 
I, I can't I, – I'm with I, – I don't know. I can't go in that direction. Like, for me, I, I just think Nick Saban with as much time. I'd love uh, – Desmond Ryder's got to play at the highest level. But you watch that Houston game again. Yeah. You know, Houston moved – that was a closer game than the score indicated. You know, and it's funny. I mean, no one's taken Cincinnati, and that line's not moving. It's a line freeze all the way, Dave. It's absolutely amazing because I was like, oh, I'll just wait, Mike, and this thing It's a line just... freeze. I mean, 92% of the money of the 16,000 tickets are are in on uh, – 92% of the money is on Alabama, and yet the line won't move. That's what we call a line freeze. It's absolutely frozen. All right, Michael, when we come back, Steve Mackinan's going to join us, and he's got some very interesting number, numbers that might be able to indicate – Who's going to go to the Super Bowl? Come on back. It is the Lombardi line right here on Visa and the Sports Betting Network. If you missed any part of our show or anything on the Eastern schedule today, don't forget to check out the free sports betting podcast. Catch replays of all of our shows or download and listen on your schedule. Go to Easton.com slash podcast. Get Beating the Book with Gil Alexander or Market Insights with Josh Applebaum. Plus, we've got Hardwood Handicappers, the Lombardi Line, Follow the Money, Coast to Coast Hoops, and many more like First Strike. They're all free and available now at Easton.com slash podcast or wherever you do get your podcast. Dave Ross alongside Michael Lombardi. This is the Lombardi line. And Michael, I, I always say, like, Steve Mackinan makes me a smarter wager every yep. single Wednesday. You got to check him out, of course. Point Spread Weekly editor. Follow him on Twitter, at Steve Mackinan. Uh, Steve, uh, great information each and every week. This week, as you described it to me, it's like a resume for which teams at the end of the regular season really have what it takes to possibly go all the way and get to the Super Bowl. So I want to kind of highlight some of these that you have in this week's uh, edition of Point Spread Weekly. And one of the, in the criteria here, you say of the Super Bowl teams since 2001, at the conclusion of the regular season, still a couple weeks to go, approximately 80% of the time, they have a betters rating of minus 6.0 or better. Could you explain that? Uh, yeah, Dave. What that means basically is uh, my betters ratings take into account the closing lines teams have against the, the teams that they've played. So basically, it's a if you want to call it a betters market rating. What what the betting market thinks of that team. Now, to be minus six means they're six points better than the average NFL team on any given week. So uh, basically, for a team to be if you want to call it Super Bowl caliber at this point and going back and looking at it, teams have had to have six points better uh, in the betting markets than the rest of the league. And so, and then you combine that along with Steve, a bunch of other categories, offensive rushing yards per game, attempts, passing attempts, and then you combine all those into, and you come up with a cumulative number uh, in terms of what you feel like the readiness of a team to compete for a Super Bowl. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I've used this methodology in other sports before, and uh, my most uh, favorite place to use this is actually in the tournament uh, each March for college basketball. It's been uh, very successful in projecting Final Four and championship-level teams. Now, I've done this a couple years for the Super Bowl teams, and uh, this is a, a refresh of it. And it, it basically goes through, and when you compare, look at these 25, if you want to call it the shared characteristics of past uh, Super Bowl teams, it gives 
an indication of which teams are more complete at this point and which teams are capable of making uh, most capable of making a run towards the Super Bowl. You know, Steve, I look at a couple of these things, and, and a couple of them are, are really they're music to my ears. Now, again, I see here you got to win nine games or more ATS to almost a 56% clip. You got to score, right? 24 points per game or more on offense. But the one that really I enjoy the most rush for more than 100 yards per game because, you know, running the football. Well, that's dead, Steve, right? But in your criteria to get to the Super Bowl, that's one of them. Yeah, and ironically, if you go through the list of the teams that qualify, there's a lot this year. There's a lot yeah. of teams that run the ball. There's, I actually find that balance is restoring itself. Yes. Now, it's not always it's not always a a, a featured tailback or or a, like a bell cow back. These teams are getting rushing yards through various means. The quarterback's getting some. Uh, maybe some wideouts get some of that. Mm. So it's not always uh, you're not looking for an Earl Campbell or a or a <laughs> right. or something like that. I mean, it's all it, it's it's a combination of factors that lead to the, those running statistics. Because you're looking for execution in the running game, right? You're looking for a way to control the pace of the game, which I think is so critical. Look, we all know running the ball doesn't lead to points. Making a huge plays, chunk yards leads to points. But you have to control the game. And I would add one more statistic to me that separates most playoff winners and losers is short yardage. Mm. What teams are really good in short yardage? Defending short yardage and converting third and twos. This championship weekend that we have coming up on Friday, Friday. The game, the Georgia, the Georgia game versus Michigan will really come down to which defense controls the other team on third or three or less and which teams play really good on short yardage. I think that's playoff football. And, and I always look for those teams that can convert and also stop the other team. And I think this year we've seen an emphasis more, I agree with you, Steve, uh, of, of running the football to be able to show a physical dominance. Uh, absolutely, Mike. Can't, I can't agree with you more on that. Now, the the one other thing the running game does for it is it controls the other team's pass rush. They can't be blitzing. They mm-hmm. can't be getting after your quarterback if you're able to run the football like that. And that that's a big factor in in how teams are able to, uh, as you say, control the game. So again, we're not going to give away the teams that have already fit this criteria that Steve has laid out in Point Spread Weekly this week. But it's just nice to know, because I thought the running the football was for losers. That's what I was told on social media and on Twitter. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, the other one that I saw, Steve, that did kind of the converse uh, argument here is your defense. you got to be able to stop that run game. And you have highlighted here that uh, the teams that fit this criteria allow less than 120 rushing yards per game. So to your point there, right, you got to be able to run the fall, control the clock and the pass rush of the opposing team. And conversely, we got to be able to shut down your running game. Yeah, the interesting thing about that is we just look at the numbers. Offensively, you got to be able to run for more than 100. Defensively, it's a little more forgiving, less than 120. So you don't, what it's basically saying is you just can't get overwhelmed by the opponent's uh, running game and, and think you're going to the Super Bowl. That, that's basically what this is saying. Yeah, you can't get gas yeah, in the run game. Yeah, No, and, and I think it's so true. I mean, you know, I was on Gil's show before this, and he was asking me, what team do you think is – is not going to be able to even get in. And I, and I look at the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers are one of the – the Chargers in the hiring of Brendan Staley. You know, when they hired him, they thought they were going to improve defensively because they weren't good. The numbers weren't good. They were getting rid of Gus Bradley before he came to, to Las Vegas. They hired Staley with the idea they need to enhance their defense. And when you look at every statistic from last year to this year, 
with the addition of the change of defense, they've gotten significantly worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are significantly worse. There are no, you know, you, every team runs the ball on them. That's why they lose to Houston. I mean, Rex Burkhead ran for a buck thirty-eight, and he's a nickel running back. So, my, I think you're right. I think there has to be when you're examining these teams. You really have to understand who can get control of the game and who can stop the other team from running when they have to stop them. Yeah, I think you guys are spot on there. I've been very critical, not so much of the analytics and whether or not to kick it or not, but having his team prepared to be able to stop simple things like a Rex Burkhead. He could not get that done. Uh, Let's keep going down this list a little bit here, and let's talk a little bit more about some defense. Uh, Steve, one of your bullet points here that caught my eye, allowing 6.6 yards or fewer per pass attempt. So is this saying to me, Steve, that you're going to trust teams here that don't allow the big plays over the top? <laughs> I, th- I think Michael said that before, chunk yardage. Right. You, you don't want to be giving up those big chunk plays consistently throughout games. Uh, I mean, you you can control a game for the entire time, and, and you give up two 80-yard pass plays, and you may be losing that football game. So uh, you, you need to be able to control the chunk plays on the other team, uh, and, and a lot of the way you can find that out is by looking at teams' yards per pass attempt defensive statistics. Yeah, I, and I think the perfect example of this was, was last weekend when Buffalo, their longest play was 28 yards against the Patriots. The Patriots didn't give up chunk plays, and that's why the game was 27-21 to 21 into the fourth. Even though Buffalo dominated the game, mm-hmm. it was a close game. It was very close. The Patriots played really well in the red zone, and, it was, and they didn't give up chunk plays. And, and you can keep the scoring down. And, and I think that's critical. And then if you play well in the red zone, you've got a chance. And, and I think that that, when you watch that tape, you say Buffalo dominated the game. They did. But can they dominate the game again like that? That's a hard thing to do. Because without big plays, it's hard to score in the NFL. All right, well, gentlemen, we have about two minutes to go in this segment. I think it's time for the big reveal. So, Steve, when you <laughs> crunch all of these numbers, as of today, with two weeks to go in the regular season, only two teams fit this criteria – and neither one of them are the one seeds currently in their conferences, Steve. The big reveal, who are those two teams? Yeah, so in, in the AFC right now, the, the most complete team, according to my figures here, is Buffalo. They have 23 marks out of the 25 categories. Tampa Bay in the NFC Whoa. has 23 as well. So uh, below that, the next teams are 21 by Green Bay, 20 by the Rams. So... Uh, in the AFC, if you look real closely, Buffalo doesn't have much competition. The next team is Indianapolis, 18, five marks worse than Buffalo. So this is going to say Buffalo, uh, according to these numbers, looks like a prohibitive favorite in the AFC. Yeah, I, and but there's such a cluster. It, it is. And, you know, the Chiefs are way down there, too, which was surprising in your rankings. I mean, the Chiefs were, were, were significantly below. I mean, New England and India is both ahead of the Chiefs. That's why it's going to be a fascinating race. It really is. Because remember this, you know, single elimination, you don't have to be the best team. You have to be the best team that day. Yeah, can can Kansas City match its 2019 season where they were able to rally defensively in the second half of the season become a much better unit on that side? If so, I think they can get back to the Super Bowl. All right, just for the record, the Cowboys never came up in that discussion. That bothers me just a little <laughs> bit, Steve. Hey, always appreciate the time. Great numbers as always. Check them out Thank at Points Spread Weekly and follow him on Love Twitter it. at Steve Mackinnon. <laughs> when we come back, gentlemen, we will break down some early lines in the NFL for the week. Come on back. It's the Lombardi line right here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, welcomes you with a special offer for the NBA. Simply place a $10 money line wager on any game, and if either team hits a three-pointer, you're going to win $200 bucks in free bets regardless of your bet's outcome. Just use the bonus code VEASAN200 when you make your very first bet. Enjoy NBA action like never before with BetMGM's live betting options, boosted odds specials, and daily promotions at your fingertips all season long. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com. Use the bonus code VEASAN200. Win 200 bucks in free bets if a three-pointer is made in the game you wager on. Eligibility restrictions do apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi or Nevada. Dave Ross alongside Michael Lombardi. This is the Lombardi Line. And Michael... We have some games this week, and I, I wonder when you look at them, and I know still it's early. You made the point about COVID, certainly in the NFL. It still could change. We know they've kind of relaxed the policies, it feels like now. So I wonder if we can get a better handle on where some of these games might go. Speaking of, yeah. that Cardinals, uh, excuse me, the Colts and Raiders line yesterday when we were doing the Lombardi line uh, with me and Wes Reynolds, it was absolutely chaotic because you're, you're it, it's hurt. It's still it's still, it's still chaotic, Dave. And you look I mean, at it, circus at six, right. circus at six, South Point's at six and a half, and Westgate's at two and a half. And there's some offshore books that are two and a half, some are seven and a half. It's all over the place, you know. And I don't know, you know. To me, I thought it would once the once news hits first, right? When you were doing the show, mm-hmm. and then then the CDC change with the NFL hits after that. And does that mean Wentz is going to be able to play? You know, is he asymptomatic or not? Right. Is Ellinger really going to be the quarterback? I, I don't know. I mean, this is a hard one for me. I think it's going to be a hard. And then I don't know who else is playing for the Colts. Here's what I will say. Let's take this outside the COVID world here. Okay. And let's just talk focus on Colts. If they don't have Eric Fisher, the left tackle, they will not be able to go where they need to go. Like, they tried with Julian Davenport in the beginning of the year, and we saw what happened with that. Wentz played poorly, you know, and, and, and they can't afford, and they, ru- and they didn't rush him back, but they got him back as quickly as they could. The Colts know this. The Colts know this, and it, and it shows up particularly in their turnovers. They had two turnovers against the Rams. You know, they turned the ball over against Seattle. You know, when they don't have him playing for them, it's a real problem. 
And uh, and I think that that injury, besides the, all the other COVID players that they're losing, you know, is going to be a problem. I think Darius Leonard has been hurt. If you watched him play on tape versus the Patriots, he he gutted himself through it. Had an interception in the game, made a bunch of tackles. But he's not he's not healthy, and he won't be healthy until the end of the year. Mm. But this Fisher injury to me is the biggest issue, because they kind of protect the quarterback on the left side, and Julian Davenport can't do it. It is fascinating. Again, when you kind of look at these numbers and the way they fluctuate, Michael, and I know you have your own your own numbers, would you then hop on a number if you feel like you get the good one, or would you just wait until kickoff because it's just so much of the unknown uh, that yeah. it's really just you talk about gambling. You're just really gambling with a number if you truly don't know who's going to play quarterback. Yeah, I mean, some of these numbers are so, you know, like my number for the game is 7.43. Okay. You know, and the line is, I think it's at 6.5 now, and it was at 7.5. It was a little over 7 when the news of Wentz. But, you know, is Waller going to play for, for the Vegas Raiders? I don't know. You know, he hasn't been. He's been day-to-day forever. So, you know, that's a challenge. And then who is actually playing on defense? You know, I will say this. The Raiders will give them a hard time because the Raiders can run the ball. Jacobs ran the ball as well as he did all year last mm-hmm. week. That'll be a problem for the Colts, particularly if they don't have a bunch of their defensive players. You know, and also that they can throw the football effectively. And if they play up front, you know, the Raiders' offensive line has been so inconsistent this year. When they play well up front and they block them, they can, do, they can throw the football. We saw it against on Thanksgiving Day against Dallas, benefited by Sean Hockley's press interference calls. But <laughs> for the most part, they can really do a wonderful job of if they protect. Carr will throw the ball in this game. Yeah. You know, this is, this, this is a game the Colts are worried about. But trust me on this. They're worried about it. They're worried because they're not 100%, and they're worried about their opponent. Uh, when I look at the Chiefs and the Bengals game, and before we really break this one down, I, I've been dying to ask you this since the game ended on Sunday between the Ravens and the Bengals. When Joe Burrow throws for 525, Wink Martindale had said, hey, let's not give him a gold jacket just yet. And then he goes out and throws over, you know, five bills on him. I, I, and I, I think John Harbaugh was upset about that. That's pettiness, but, Michael, I kind of like it. Like, does that bother you when you hear the kind of the give and take? And I know Vic Fangio got on Harbaugh when he was trying to keep that 100, 100 game in a row, you know, yeah. rushing yards and all that stuff. Like, to me, it's petty, but it's kind of a good football petty. Does that bother you? No, I mean, look, it's your job to stop Joe Burrow, you know. And, and I think that one thing I will give Zach Taylor credit, and I don't give him credit very often, is he, he knew his defense was a liability, and he kept his foot on the gas and kept mm-hmm. trying to score in that game. And he also knew that, that, the bang, that, that the Ravens, the best way to destroy the Ravens was to keep throwing it, unlike what Green Bay did two weeks or a week earlier when they kind of rolled up their tent in the fourth quarter and let them come back from a 14-point deficit. So I give him credit there. Look, I think this is more going to be impactful for when we are on this show next year and we're talking about Cincy going into Baltimore. There'll be a lot of bulletin board material in that mm. game. Let's talk about this one here because I look at it in with the defenses and Cincinnati's, look, they've, they've got problems in that back four. You know it. The Chiefs, yeah, it looks like it's gotten better. Chris Jones moving him inside. I look at the total here, opened up at 49. And again, Kansas City still the favorite on the road, four and a half. Uh, it it's staying right there, Michael. To me, if it stays under fifty, that feels like some some eye candy that I might be interested in. Yeah, you know, I think, and and, and I'll check weather here, uh, but. I think for sure, you know, this is two teams that can move the football. But I would urge you to worry a little bit about can this can this Cincinnati team, when they have to protect, mm. can they protect well enough? 
Are they going to be able to handle the pass rush? Are they going to be able to control the pass rush? You know, to me, I said on Gill's show that they are the one team that they get to the playoffs. And, you know, in terms of playoff readiness and Steve's breakdown, uh, you know, Kansas City, I mean, Cincinnati ranked below New England, below Indianapolis in, in terms of readiness for the playoffs, slightly just above Kansas City. But I worry about them being able to protect Joe Burrow. And we've seen it all through the season, right? When they get into trouble with games, when they lose games, they don't protect very well. The Bears game opening, they turned the ball over four times. Protection issues, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the Raider game was, you know, they, they didn't turn the ball over, so they were able to win. But when they played the Chargers, they turned the ball over four times. And we know this. It's documented. The Chargers are terrible on defense. Mm -hmm. And the Chargers went in there and won that game. And they're terrible on defense. You can say they have Joey Bo, so they're 32nd on third down. You know, the, the, every statistical category the Chargers have, have gotten worse on this year on defense. And San Francisco went in there, and their defensive front could to control the game. Now, Burrow came back in the fourth quarter, and they won it in overtime, but they turned Burrow over twice in that game mm -hmm. because of their defensive dominance. I look at the Cardinals, and they are Tom Petty free-falling right now, 10-5 and five here, 1-7-0, going down to Dallas after what the destruction we saw there against the team with no name from D.C., and now the cap folks are going to lay five and a half. This total is high at 51 and a half. Now, look, Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, they went into Dallas last year. I know it was Mike Nolan in a different defense, but they ran roughshod. What do you make of this matchup this time around? Well, I, I think this. I think Kyler Murray is, hasn't really been playing well. I mean, and I'm not, that's not a great secret, you know, but I think he hasn't been playing well, Dave, and I think that's the real issue. And, you know, he's not been able to find, uh, you know, he's not been able to find, uh, the, make the plays down the field. He's not been able to dominate the game. I mean, his yards per attempt run in the football is way down this year than it was last year. You know, his, his average per attempt is at 7-1. He was at 9 earlier in the season. You know, in the last five games, he's thrown four touchdown passes. He's got five interceptions. He's been sacked nine times in that. And his quarterback rating is, is a very pedestrian 80.4. I mean, this is what's happened when, and, and I've said this all along about Kyler Murray. When he gets, he's a little man, and little man in front of a big man becomes a problem, and mm -hmm. he gets hurt, and, and he can't really, to me, I didn't think he had the zip on the football that we're used to seeing. And I think that you're, you're right on, and again, I, I look at the Cowboys here laying five and a half, maybe a teasable spot here, and we'll see if that number goes up, but it's staying right there at five and a half right now. We'll see if there's any line movement there. As the week goes, very quickly, the Dolphins, first team in NFL history to lose seven in a row and have a seven-game winning streak in the same season. Yeah. They're above 500, Michael, at eight and seven. Going to take on the Titans. Gutted out a win against uh, against San Francisco last week. Tennessee only laying three. It's up to three and a half here. What do you make of this? Well, I mean, Miami's been really. I mean, think about it. Since they this win streak, right? That when they won, when when they after they lost to Buffalo, they come back. They beat a bad Houston team. Baltimore was probably their most signature win. But here's who they've beaten: the Jets, the Panthers, the Giants, the Jets, and the Saints with no quarterback. I mean, you can get on a seven-game win streak with that with, the, with with those quarterbacks when you put them up. This will be a hard challenge. I mean, two is going to have to make some plays over ten yards in the game. I mean, last week, you know, he makes the 40-yarder to Mac Collins. I mean, other than that, what did he do that was so effective? He throws short, and, you know, they, their offense is limited by what he does, and they're the first to tell you. We'll talk about it after the break. Absolutely. We will talk more about Tua and maybe some teams you should avoid in week number 17. Come on back. It is the Lombardi Line right here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare <laughs>